Welcome to The Leaders Who Care, a podcast powered by Dynamis Group. We are here to give the stage and support to those committed to create a positive and lasting impact, way beyond the profits and margins, the leaders of the world who care for others and serve a bigger purpose. Join us on the journey of creating a better, more caring world. And now to your host, Marian Timelkov. Hello, everyone. I am really excited today to welcome a very special guest, um, a dear friend and someone that I've known and seen his uh, fantastic development over the years, a leader who combines two important things, care and passion. And uh, today I had the privilege to welcome Theo Smith. In my mind, he's the best in the world in the field he operates and um, he is also a, uh, a co-author of uh, the Neurodiversity at Work book and also uh, evangelist in helping so many uh, people around the world. Uh, Tio, welcome. And it's such an honor and privilege to have you today. Thank you so much, Marion. It's a real pleasure. And just to add to something that you said there, I think one of the the biggest passions of mine is working with others. And uh, and I partnered with uh, Amanda Kirby to write that book. And I think it just, it teaches you so many things in life that when you connect with incredible people, you truly can uh, create incredible things. Uh, and, and that has been uh, certainly my experience over the last few years. Absolutely, Theo. And as you know, here on, on the Leaders Who Care, we, we have a mission, uh, which is to actually uh, connect and, and give stage to some of the most caring leaders from every corner of the world. And um, uh, you are the first representative of, if I'm not mistaken, I need to double check, of Wales. Uh, so you are presenting, you know, the, the, this wonderful uh, part of the world. And, and Tio, well, first of all, tell us uh, about your story. You have an incredible story and which is linked to what you what you do today, um, and especially at early days, I know you had a very tough time and struggle at school and some of those moments, and, because th these are defining moments uh, and to I guess to lead you to where you are today. But um, how did you grow up and and what was the struggles uh, in really early early on um, in life? Yeah, and it's always difficult when you look at struggles in life because you always balance it and you look at others. And I talk to so many people these days that I see their struggles, you know, people who grew up with parents who were drug addicts and spent, you know, a long time in prison themselves. And you look at their lives and you think, I didn't really struggle, right? So that's <laughs> one thing. But then we all have our own struggles and there's variations of, and it impacts us as individuals and how we go on to perform in life. So that's where you then get some kind of acceptance around one, the struggle, and two, the trauma that it creates for the individual. So for me, part of the big problem was that I um, I struggled in school really badly, and I started to get into a lot of trouble in school. Um, and basically, the reason why I was getting into all this trouble, now I can look back, is because I wasn't connecting with the, with the system, with the education system, with the way of teaching. So on the one hand, I was getting into a lot of trouble. I started taking things I shouldn't. I started going places I shouldn't. I stopped going to school. I barely took any GCSEs and I failed them significantly. So school was a really strange place for me. But on the other hand, because I had good parents, right, because I had parents with really great values, 
I was experiencing this other life at home. And then my parents got me involved in acting because they were worried about what I was getting up to, right? And they wanted to get me involved in music. So they got me involved playing musical instrument and in acting from a young age of about nine or 10. And I loved it. And it was where I could be myself. It was where people revered me for the stuff that I did. People said, hey, Theo, you're incredible. You perform well, your personality, your ideas. But I still had this dual struggle of in school, I was trouble. I was a problem. Yet in theatre, I was this incredible human being, right? Who people revered. And, and, I, and that's something that I've taken with me throughout my journey in life. Now, at the time, I didn't know that I was dyslexic and that I associated with ADHD, right? So that I'm neurodivergent or neurodiverse, depending on your, your preference for terminology, right? That, uh, that my brain perhaps is different to what might be deemed the majority of people. I only found that out at 21 when I became, uh, when I went to university as a mature student. Both my parents had working class backgrounds, had no qualifications, both went to university as mature students when I was a kid. So I always knew nothing was impossible, right? Just because I didn't have any qualifications didn't mean I couldn't go to university. And that's what I did. And it's a university I found out that I was dyslexic in the first weeks because it was a drama course. And it's many, many, many years later, I found out I was ADHD as I learned about this term that is neurodiversity, right? Neurodiversity is everybody. All our brains are different. Like biodiversity, we need variations in plants, in trees. We need bees, right? Without bees, the world collapses. Equally, we need variety in the brain, natural variations in the brain. And that moment of learning about neurodiversity and understanding that some people who are ADHD or dyslexic, they're not broken or autism. They don't need fixing. They just their brain pans, their brain waves, they're structured in a different way. They can do incredible things, but you need to focus on their individual strengths, right? And support some of their challenges for them to be able to do those incredible things. Theo, uh, this is fantastic. And thank you for sharing that story. And what a great, uh, really example of how the family could make a real difference to, to you personally and your well-being, and, and really being attentive because there are a lot of parents that are struggling with uh, their children, they don't know whether they're HGND or whether they're neurodiverse. And, and of course, that's, uh, that is something which uh, impacts the quality of their lives. Um, first of all, what is neurodiversity in terms of terminology? Uh, what really, uh, I know there's a lot more talks about it nowadays than ever before, which is fantastic. But really looking into the science of neurodiversity, um, what, it, what is it and how people could actually um, uh, improve their lives by learning about it and, and understanding how to deal with conditions that they might have, even in their very, uh, very home families in, in that yeah, definitely. So there's been a big movement recently, the neurodiversity movement, right? And that has been, uh, I'll give you the reasons why that is. It's been because people have been standing up and saying, I'm having no more, I'm going to be counted. But let me just explain neurodiversity as a concept. So like I said just a moment ago, neurodiversity is like biodiversity, right? 
variations in the plants, trees to make the world exist, right? We see climate change at the moment is a really big issue. And it's a big issue because without variety in all these things, the bees, the trees and everything else, we risk the planet, right? The air that we breathe, right? And we risk the planet getting too hot. Equally, we need brains that think differently. We have throughout time, we've had brains that think differently. Some incredible human beings, um, you know, uh, Einstein was believed to be um, uh, on the spectrum or, or neurodiverse, neurodivergent in some way. Alan Turing, the father of artificial intelligence and machine learning that came out of the war, right? This incredible technology and these ideas, he was believed to be on the spectrum. So neurodiversity is everybody, but being neurodivergent or a group neurodiverse, often you fall into a, a, some categories, not like categories, but just for help for people's understanding, you might be ADHD, right? Negative term, but attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's a medical term, but what it really means is you have incredible capabilities to do some uh, some wonderful things. Three of the most, actually a lot of athletes, but three of the most elite athletes in the world, Simone Biles, um, Usain Bolt and Michael Phelps are all ADHD, right? So sometimes we look at it in the medical paradigm as, oh, it's something that needs a drug, it needs to be fixed. Yeah, three of the greatest athletes of all time are all ADHD. When you look at it like that, those two things don't connect, right? One needs treatment, one needs a drug. The other one is some of the most revered people on the planet. And when we look at Einstein, Alan Jordan, some of the great greatest CEOs of tech companies, then they're uh, on the spectrum or they're ADHD or dyslexic, right? So, so that's what uh, neurodivergent or neurodiverse, what we're talking about there. And the neurodiversity movement is those people who are standing up and saying, we're not going to be marginalized anymore because of the way our brain works, right? We're not letting somebody... Like me as a dad, I'm not letting you say about my child that they're broken, they need fixing, they need a pill. Like, I'm not having that. What I what I want to see is that they're given the right support to be their best selves, whether that's in education, whether that's in organizations, wherever that may be, in our lived environment, built environment. We need to give people access, right? So that they're so that they're not marginalized uh, within the workplace or within the education system. And that's what this big movement is about. And if you go on Google and look at Google Trends analysis, you can see people are typing in neurodiversity. What is neurodiversity across the world? And one of the countries that is starting to really accelerate is here in the UK. But in the US and Australia, companies like IBM, Microsoft have been focusing on this for the past eight to 10 years. But it's often on the narrow field of autism. We're now broadening that out. Neurodiversity is much bigger than just that single line, which is great because it encompasses more people and it gives us more reasons to make the required changes. And Theo, how many people are believed to be neurodiverse? Well, how many people are neurodiverse? Everybody, right? If we're, <laughs> if we're really getting down to the, everyone is, his brain is different, right? And we're all impacted um, by our environment and by our bodies and our, where we grew up and everything else, right? That affects the way that the brain develops, right? Because the brain develops from a very young age. Um, but if we're talking about those people who fall into um, the kind of the categories of ADHD, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dyspraxia, autism, uh, now we're probably talking around 20% of the population. 
So that's 20% of the population that fall into that category. But then we need to think about um, people with um, lack of sight, hearing, um, somebody in a wheelchair, all these things from birth, for example, that will affect the way that the brain works, right? That will affect how you, uh, how you uh, translate information and therefore how you perform within a team. And we need people, plenty of evidence on this, who think and act differently within teams. We also need, and the great example of this, we talk about 20% of the population, right? That is significant. That's two in 10 people, one in five. And, and uh, so that's a lot of people. But then we've got their parents, their friends, their family. So there's a lot of people then impacted by this 20%. You could get up to 30, 40% of the population are impacted or engaged in this movement in some way, shape or form. And we only have to look at a program recently um, of a dancer in a dancing program here in the UK where they introduced somebody who was deaf. The impact that individual um, has had on that program is they've transformed people's view by watching a program, but they've transformed the program. The people involved in that program are now rethinking the way they communicate across social media to include people who can't hear. So it's vitally important that we include this 20% because they will impact on productivity and they will impact on diversity of thought, um, but they will also ensure that your product, your process, your organization is accessible for a huge proportion of the population. So think of that commercially. Like if you're selling a product and you're not thinking about this group of consumers, shame on you and let's think about profitability as well shame on you if you're thinking around your organization you will already have people sat in a seat within your organization who are adhd dyslexic, a number of other things they'll be sat there now so the reality is is how can you uh, help them how can you support them how can you ensure they're performing at their optimum because they'll be happier the organization will perform better and key thing at the moment is there's a massive need for people, right? We've just seen UK, in the UK, um, numbers uh, have gone up again in terms of uh, people in employment, right? The the people unemployed are with something 4% four, 4 odd. I mean, that's low. Basically, it's competitive out there. So you've got to start to rethinking, one, how are we going to attract talent that we've not already obtained? But two, how are we going to retain this incredible talent that we might not have been properly supporting and it doesn't need to be expensive it will be far cheaper than going out and trying to reattract talent once you've lost talent that was very committed to your organization well the good news is what you're sharing too is that first of all neurodiversity doesn't mean uh, disability necessarily it actually means the it's just the uh, different way of the way your brain works unique well, ability Unique ability. So, so I love the way you just reshaped that. You know, neurodiverse means unique ability. And because of our processes or the way we're brought up or raised in companies or educational system, um, we have not recognized or not being thought how to recognize those unique abilities in people and that the, how they operate at their best, which is why we are affecting negatively often. We may be affecting their productivity because we don't understand them um and what you're saying is oh, how hey why don't you invest a bit of time to understand uh your people whether this is in organization or in schools and and really uh set them up for success by uh, 
making simple or small adjustments that could mean that could make a big difference for for their performance for your organization especially in times when we uh, a lot of organizations struggle to attract great talent and, and in fact you, you may actually have this uh, fantastic uh, really in talented people that you may have not uh, known how to unlock their full potential and productivity. Absolutely. We're seeing the movement by people who are parents, for example, who, like me, are looking at their child, looking at the education system, look at their child underperforming based on whatever the, you know, the market is, you know, kids should be at this level. Your child is falling below that, yet in, in all the stats and information coming back, it's saying your child tries 10 out of 10 for everything, 10 out of 10 for everything, right? So they're putting loads of effort in, yet they're scoring against all these different areas, English, maths, whatever, are then much, much, much lower, sometimes four or five. Those two things don't match up, right? And I'm telling you, if you've got somebody who's working really, really hard to perform well, but they're actually, they're, what they're achieving is far, far significantly lower than that, you've got a problem with your teaching system. You've got a problem with the education system. You've got a problem with your learning and development function within your organization. You've got an issue with the way that you're supporting that individual management. Because I'm telling you, if somebody's really, really working hard, often it's not they don't have the capability to do the thing that you're asking of them. It's the way that you're teaching, training, supporting them doesn't meet their individual needs, right? And often, it's not that difficult. It's not that complicated. We need to step back. So we, we quite often don't see the things that are available right in front of us. Right? I, I joke that if I didn't have a computer, a laptop now, right, with all the things like Grammarly and all the other lovely things, as somebody who's dyslexic and ADHD, right, and all the notepads and everything else I can access now, I literally would be down the mine in Wales if they reopened them. Because, like, seriously... Like my my great granddad was a, a skimmer, coal skimmer. My granddad was a, a pro boxer. Like th this is what we're talking about here. Without technology, um, uh, like I would find it really difficult to maneuver in the current world that we're in. So a simple laptop and all the associated technology that comes with it is really powerful for me. Right now, just translate that into any other reasonable adjustment that's what we're talking about we're talking about helping an individual find an adjustment that helps them perform at their optimum optimum so me i'll forget stuff really easily so you know it's the technology to support with that i'll make mistakes in um, in emails and i won't even see them you know so technology to help me with that uh, all the time to be able to look over stuff again and to say theo you know never send something straight away send it after checking it once or twice but, but the challenge we have at the moment is because we've not stepped back, right? We've not stepped back and we've not listened to our fellow human beings, truly listen to truly understand their needs, right? We're still trying to force them down the same route as everybody else. And that's where managers are getting a bit confused because they're going, well, with everyone else, I just do this and that works. But this person, they're, they're different. They, I can't get them to do the same stuff in the same way. And the reality is, no, perhaps you can't, but that's not a bad thing, right? Because in this world that is evolving and changing and spinning at such a rate, 
with climate change and all the other challenges we face within our organizations, we absolutely need people who don't understand our current way of working and who want to adapt and change it. We have to, because that's what's happening in the world, right? We're having to adapt in terms of medicines, um, in terms of the health sector, in terms of the way that we deliver health and the way that we think about it broadly, because almost all of our NHS health systems collapsed under what's happened globally. We have to rethink that, how we create vaccines now. We have to adapt and do them more quickly. How we provide evidence-based research can't take two, three, four years in some instances. has to be quick because we have to make decisions quickly. All of these things have transformed our world overnight, right? And with the challenges of climate change as well, we're going to have a continuation of this. And most organisations will have to consider it in some way, shape or form. So, right, we absolutely, I'm telling you, we need these people. We need Greta Thunberg. We need Alan Jordan. We need Einstein. You know, we need um, all of those other leaders. We need the three guys who are trying to commercialise space travel. Right? We, we need these things. That's why it's really, really important. We're not just talking about some nice to have. Oh, let's look after these lovely people who think a bit differently. No, these are the people who can transform the world that we're going to live in. I mean, truly incredible. That doesn't mean it doesn't come with challenges. And there will be some people that have significant challenges, challenges in their background, where they grew up, their ability, physical ability, to, i.e. they may be in a wheelchair. There may be a number of factors that make it even more difficult for them to get into our current built environment, work environment. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try, but we're going to have mixed capabilities here. And what we need to do is start now rather than pushing it down the road and thinking, it, 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 you know, it doesn't matter. I'm telling you, it's, this is the difference between um, business performance moving into this new world and, uh, and climate change and doing the right thing by our children. I'd like somebody challenge me on that point because we need to do the right thing about our children. So even when we're dead and gone, our children and our children's children can hope for a better life than unfortunately what we've done for this um, large proportion of people who've been marginalised through our education systems and, and more so through our work environments currently. I love that. And this gives a lot of encouragement and hope to you. So thank you for sharing this. I think it's uh, uh, we are certainly on the forefront right now and we live in the best times ever to make those profound changes. Uh, and it's not about us. It's, uh, you mentioned it. It's about our children and the children of our children and generations ahead. And that's how you build wealth for generations. And, and here I'm very encouraged and inspired by your words in the sense of um, okay, if you are a parent and, and you, you have a, a, a child that, that is neurodiverse or that you struggle with, um, the message is, look, they are just have unique ability and uh, their brain is unique. Just look at it that way and don't get discouraged. Don't try to change them um, in, uh, to, to kind of standardize them with everyone else because that is not the right way uh approach it uniquely and and really to uh, i mean what advices would you give those parents so that they because it's not easy for for some of them i can believe and i can guess that that is struggling but how could you how could they really uh, set their children up for success and therefore have that relief that they've done the best they can as parents 
um, in the circumstances when their children could believe could believe to be a neurodiverse. Well, here we go. This is a really interesting thing, Marion, because COVID has been a great leveler, right? And let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, basically, no matter how much money you've got, no matter where you are in the world, whether you're a CEO of IBM or whether you're, um, uh, whether you're, um, uh, I don't know, you work in Tesco, uh, you work in a superstore, right? Ultimately, if your child um, is ADHD, dyslexic or autistic, through COVID, we probably all had to sit at home with our children and really struggle on how to support their needs. Some have seen it better. So they may have seen their child who is on the spectrum, who really was not happy at school and they've been much happier at home. Or they may have been with a child who's ADHD and um, a combination of other things, who knows what, who may have really thrived off being in school. They may be struggling with the education system, i.e. Um, learning what, what's being taught to them, but the environment may have been really good for their soul, right? And this is why we can't just, I, I you know, the old term of throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? I get frustrated with the education system because it's not built, it wasn't built for me and it wasn't built for my child. But I do thrive off being with others, as my children do. So it's that kind of real difficulty, right, if you want your children to thrive and therefore they enjoy the environment, but then they're not getting educated and that can have an impact or educated in the way that the school wants them because the school will constantly tell them they're less than, you're, you're not doing very well, you know, you're scoring low, you're going to get put in that bottom class, you're going to, that's a lot of negativity to have to deal with. And, and but, but this is the leveler for everyone, right? Where all the parents have been sat at home the last couple of years trying to figure this stuff out. And I'd say exactly what you said there, Marion, is one, um, these kids don't need fixing, right? They are not broken, right? It's just that the world they currently live in is not built for them, right? And we may not be able to be parents at home who teach our kids at home. So even though our child with autism might prefer that and it might be better for them it might be impossible as a parent for us to do that equally it might be difficult for us to get extra educational support for our children right but uh, and these can be the things that parents worry about and this was the catalyst for me to go well if i can't change the education system and if i can't transform that within the next 12 months for my children right so they can have a much better experience than i did what can i do and what I absolutely could do is I could go and speak to a HR leader, a talent acquisition leader, a CEO today, and I could transform their way of thinking so that they take action tomorrow, right? And the action they take tomorrow, you know, the small drips of actions that then happen over 12 months, 24 months, five years, by the time my child gets to the work environment, it's going to be a completely different place and they're going to assess skills in a very different way and assess, assess strengths in a very different way. So I think that that would be my best advice to parents is to, you know, we've got one life, right? We can't, there's certain things we cannot change. What we can do, and I go back to my parents, is we can give them love. We can care for them. We can understand that sometimes we will have the most difficult conversations in the world with them. But I tell you this, right? Think back to some of the most powerful uh, moments you've had in their life, in your life, uh, especially if we think in a business context, right? It's dealing with other people who sometimes they may be very intelligent, 
They may be of different viewpoint to you, um, but they're somebody who cares. They they got compassion. They want to do something powerful. Having the debate with that person that is difficult, right? That's not easy. You might get anxious. You might get stressed. You might come at that thinking, "Wow, they've really changed my whole view and perception." I'm not sure I'm ready for what they were challenging me on there. That's some of the moments we have with our children. Those micro moments we have with our children. They're not easy, but what you're talking about is children with the potential to think and act differently. And that's going to power the future of work and the future of the world. So if we can find a way, uh, you may not enjoy some of those moments where their child's having a meltdown because uh, of a variety of different things, so much stuff going through their head, um, or they may be, uh, you may be struggling with them in another way. Um, it's a long journey that we got to take with them uh, and love and care uh, compassion go a long, long way, even in those most difficult uh, of moments. Uh, and then hopefully by the time we get our kids there, the world of work would transform significantly, which then will enforce governments and education systems to change. Because that's what's going to really happen is these education systems, the governments, they're transient, right? Governments are transient, really hard to make um, significant change when we're talking about long term. Like really difficult because they have their own agendas. But if we can get organizations to get on the back of this, which they have, organizations are seeing the benefits of this. So anybody who's not, you need to get on the train because, you know, the big organizations, IBM, Microsoft, EY, you know, there's plenty of other examples. Some great tech companies, small, fast growth unicorns, they're getting on the train, right? You need to get on the train also um, so that we can really transform the organizations to day. Um, and it's parents, remember, parents of children who are CEOs, HR leaders, coming back to the leveler, right? A lot of us are parents, 20% of kids are, are probably uh, neurodivergent in some way, shape or form, if not more. We're talking about a lot of people, maybe 50% of parents who might be affected in some way, shape or form, um, which is which is incredible, right? So uh, the, here lies the opportunity, Marion. Fantastic. And Gio, what would be your advice to those business leaders and, and really uh, CEOs, but not only really those organizations and really that are determined, that want to make a difference? Um, and why should they be making a difference? What is in there for their companies, for them, even if they don't have or directly being affected or impacted by uh, having somebody in their family that is neurodiverse? Um, what is your advice to them? What could they do and why should they do it? So first of all, why they should do it, I'll start with that. They should do it because a movement is happening now, right? That movement is growing like wildfire. And there'll be a day where you as a CEO and a leader, you wake up and you see the streets filled by this movement and wonder where it came from and why you didn't do anything and it becomes out of your hands, out of your control, because that movement is uh, forcing you to make the required changes, rather than you taking um, the view that you could be ahead of the game, right? You could start to make some really positive and meaningful and impact changes today that will benefit your workforce, um, you know, potentially improve productivity um, if done in the right way. Um, and also uh, rectify this challenge around uh, acquiring new talent, which uh, all organizations are struggling with at the moment. So that's the why. That's why you want to do it, because it's the right thing to do 
and you should get on with doing it as soon as possible. Um, whilst um, you you were one of the early adopters, because we're still talking about less than four percent of organisations who focus on uh, DNI. Right, that's companies who do focus on DNI. Less than four percent focus on um, disability as a subcategory, right? And neurodiversity currently sits in disability. So what I'm telling you here, right, is hardly any organisations are focusing on disability, which is bad. So you should focus on that. But that means hardly anyone at all is focusing around neurodiversity. So even though it's becoming such a hot topic, hardly any companies are really actually taking any tangible action, even though we can show that there's something like only 20 to 30% of people on the autism spectrum are in work. Yet we know they've got incredible capabilities um, in a wide variety of areas. You know, this is a no-brainer, right? Um, so, so that's in that context, that's what you need to get on the train as quickly as possible. What you can do is you will already have people within your organization who are facing challenges. You will have senior leaders in your organization. I've met them, right? I've sat with them. I've talked to them who have to go home uh, at a particular time every day um, because their child is facing challenges within the education system as a simple example. Right. So the child may get sent home. They have to leave. Right. This senior leader may not have ever told you. They may not have told anybody else. They may not have told anyone their child is on the autism spectrum. You know why? Because they can already see their child is being marginalized. They may be marginalized themselves. So they're keeping quiet because they don't want to be marginalized anymore. Right. They've worked hard to get into that job. Right. And they don't want you to take a view on it. So as senior leaders, you can lift the lid on this. You have the power, CEOs, heads of functions, you have the power to lift the lid of Pandora's box here, right, and open the conversation. Because just like many of the other subjects that we face in our lives that we don't want to talk about, mental health, well-being, we don't want to talk about these things. It's, it's We started to recently because we're worried about other people's perceptions if we say, yes, I had a breakdown, or actually, yes, I lost my child, or yes, I'm um, on the spectrum. All of these things, we, we really worry about how our environment, how the people we work with, how our leaders are going to respond, because we've all sat in an office at one point where our manager has taken a very negative view to what we're telling them, and we fear the response we'll get. So senior leaders, right, if they take the action to say, we're going to give the platform to our employees talking, or we're going to bring people in externally and we're going to give them the platform to educate our workforce on what neurodiversity is a concept, why it's important, and why you as an organisation want to start on the journey to help, if nothing else, your current employees who may be sat there struggling out of COVID with their children who are not being given the right support in the education system and they've never mentioned it. They come into work, they work hard, they may be a great employee for you, and you don't even know the struggle that they may be going through at home because their child is not uh, getting the support that they require based on the mechanisms, the structures of a world we've created. Um, so that's why it's so important. And like I say, if you don't want to think about it now and you put it back to, to, to the back of your head and say, I'm not ready for this, this is... We're going to do this in three years' time. We're focusing on gender. We're focusing on uh, race. We're going to focus on neurodiversity, which is everybody. We're going to focus on that. 
in like 2025 or 2030. It's too late. It's too late. You want to keep hold of your people. You want to do right by your people. When people are starting to consider going elsewhere, you need to show that you that you care, that you're compassionate. And one important place to start this is when we think around the way that people's brains work, because it impacts so many other areas of their life. Fantastic, Theo. What a great advice, you know, and I encourage, I join that uh, wholeheartedly, that movement and saying, hey, uh, guys, you, you can do some simple adjustments by, first of all, making it known to your people that you do care. Um, and you can simply ask some questions to find out about really get interested is the first step. And um, you could find out what their needs are and, and train your heads of departments or others to find out how, how many of the workforce are affected by or have children that are neurodiverse and just ask them simple questions of, hey, what can we do to support you? Is there anything we can help you um, we, in your work schedule or technology you use to help you um, in, in being a better self or, or just to help you out with that uh, challenge? Even that understanding and that these simple little adjustments could make a, a big difference to people's performance, people's well-being and being accepted and not having even to hide let, let me put it like this to you, Marion, because it uh, just came to my mind, right? If we think around, um, there's a couple of things. We think around the difference of a human being, right? We think about a race car, right? You want a car to be super fast. What you do, you take things off it, right? So a Formula One racing car has less things on it. Its weight uh, is very low uh, in terms of the power of its engine versus weight distribution. You won't find a CD player in a, in a Formula One racing car. You won't find many comforts. Actually, the car may be uncomfortable in many respects, but it's safe and it's fast and it's light, right? That's what it's meant to do. Think about individuals in the same way, right? You may want a Bentley, right? That's big and heavy. May also be quite fast, I don't know. But that's comfortable, right? You want a comfortable drive. When we think about a brain, we need, to, we need the same different types of brains, right? We need some brains that are fast, that are light, that are agile. We need some brains... That, that can um, think about every aspect, every every facet of the world, right? They can see it all. They can picture it all. They can put it out. This is kind of the comfort brain, right? We need these different types of brains, right? Then think about what Marion's talking about here, which is the, the process that we have and the adjustments. If you're selling a car to somebody, right, and, and you sell this car to a 1,000 people, and they start to tell you that there is something wrong with a part of that car, what do you do? You change the part of that car whether it's the infotainment system, whether it's the wheels, whatever it may be, you would change it because you're selling that car to the consumer. You want more consumers to buy it and enjoy the experience. You adapt it. Same thing. If you've got a consumer coming through a process, right, along a line, right, if any part of that line throws the consumer out, why, why are we losing all these consumers? Why are we losing money as part of this process? We're not selling them because we're losing them. You would adapt that part of the process. So you'd adapt your car, your technology, whatever it is, You'd adapt a part of a process, right? If you can see you're losing money. Let me tell you, you lose money by losing incredible talent as they come through your recruitment and assessment and onboarding process. You are losing incredible talent because you've not refined it. You've not thought about it to be inclusive of all different types of people, of minds, 
um, of ethnicities, right? You've not thought about it well enough and you've got one linear route. You are kicking people out all the time and you just accept it. You're throwing money away all the time in terms of incredible performance, incredible capability within that organization. So that's the, the one thing, but then you're doing the same within your organization. You're not adapting your processes, your systems, the way that you communicate and engage with your people. You've got uh, learning and development, for example, and you just give one option, right? You've got to read this big form or you can only go online and watch a video or you can, we need to give different options for learning, for development, for training, um, for all these documentation and communication that we have within our organizations. Because otherwise we're locking people out and they probably won't tell you, I'm dyslexic, I'm not gonna tell you I'm not gonna read a, a, a 30 page document. I'm probably not gonna read it, right? And I'm probably gonna ask the person next to me, what was in that document, right? You need to give different types of information. You need to give access to different ways to train, to develop, to support. And if you don't, if you don't wanna do this, you probably don't know the negative impact that's ha having because you're not asking because you don't understand neurodiversity and you've not asked your workforce, right? It's so simple. Ask your consumer, ask your workforce, ask the people sat in the seat within your organization, right? What you're currently missing out. But first, you've got to build trust because these people, this group of people here be marginalized, like me in the education system, in the employment system. They've already faced many times in their life a point where they've walked away going, I I've been treated badly there and I may not know why. Or I've been treated badly there. I've not been given the same opportunity as somebody else. Um, and therefore, I'm no longer going to speak and be honest about my challenges because it only ever seems to get me into trouble. Which is me going back to a kid, right? Only ever seems to get me into trouble when I talk too much about the things I struggle with. So I'm no longer going to talk about them. I'm going to mask them and I'm going to put a lid on them. So organizations, you need to support your employees, show you care, show you're compassionate, show you actually really want to do something that matters on this subject, and then just ask your people. Because as Marion said, the, the adjustments are often simple. It might be changing a light bulb, literally, because the light can impact on somebody, the way that they perform, the smells, the sounds, all of these things we know, we know for evidence now, have an impact on your, not just your ability to perform, but actually often on your ability to remember. They're introducing smells in certain environments for certain meetings so that you can, when you go back to that meeting, they introduce the same vanilla smell or whatever it may be. And you can go back to that moment, the last meeting, the vanilla smell, the sound, the sight, the, these things really, we're human beings, right? We were built on this earth. We were born from, from this earth in the sense that we're a part of uh, of the trees, the plants, the birds. We're, we're intuitive, right? But but we kind of forget about this stuff. Um, so uh, there's, a, there's a real opportunity for organizations to massively differentiate themselves um, by considering neurodiversity as part of their uh, future talent strategy. Fantastic, Theo. What a great uh, value and advice you've provided. Um, and now just coming back to you, uh, Theo, um, I, this is to me one of the deep level of care, you know, to do the things you do and and really to help so many other people, uh, Tio. But first of all, how do you take care of yourself to be doing the work you're doing continuously, tirelessly, you know, to to make that positive impact 
what are your uh, system, personal way of taking care of, uh, of you and your family? Yeah, I'd say it's not it's not easy. It's not an easy um, journey. Um, it, and you learn all the time because your world adapts, right? Your world changes and your environment changes. And that uh, equally impacts on your own mental health and well-being. So um, what worked three years ago might not work today. Um, so I've constantly got to be thinking about what that is. So, I mean, for me, uh, I try and have, uh, I, I'm not very good at committing to certain things, right? Unless I'm really passionate about them. So I try to focus on things I'm passionate about. Really helps my mental health and well-being. Because if I'm passionate about it, I care about it, I feel good, right? And I feel energized and I feel like I want to go each day. And that is a super strength of mine. You know, if I've, if I've got the energy for it, if I'm passionate about it, I could be there till three in the morning. Other than I've got a family, I've got to come back and look at, but I could. Like if I, if you just took away my responsibilities for seven days straight, I could work on this thing and I'd love it, right? So that that's what I try and do. Where I can focus on the thing I'm passionate about. And this is why I'm, I'm so passionate about uh, neurodiversity and why I work so hard for it. The other thing is I try to put in mechanisms. I, I, I use a lot of energy, huge amount of energy. I'm constantly moving, constantly thinking. I'm up and down. My head's always going. Um, that can have an impact in me having a, a kind of, I can crash towards the end of the week. So I try to make sure that I have a, a, a small fitness regime. Um, I run through, I've got a running machine here and I run three times a week. Um, and I just run fast, right? I run fast, I stop. I run fast, I stop. I run fast, I stop. To get the heartbeat going, to look after the heart, right? This isn't a fitness thing. I don't want to be super fit. I don't want to be an athlete. I want my heart to be strong. I also want to use up some of the energy, some of that kind of intense energy where you can otherwise use other things to try and try and use up that, try and uh, get rid of the energy, like drink. Historically, when I was young, drink drugs and all the other things that can just try and bring you down a bit, which actually... Um, negatively impacts on your ability to focus on the stuff that I love doing, which is your strength. So if you're constantly like pushing your energy down in a negative way, right, then that then takes you longer to get the energy back up to focus on your strength. So it's always thinking about how can I how can I focus on those things that matter to me most? How can I focus on my strengths? Um, and where can I grab a little bit of time to ensure that I've got equilibrium, you know, um, so they're the things I try and do. And, you know, I, I just, I enjoy spending time with other people. So whenever I can, I try to, um, whether it's digitally or events or whatever else, I try and go and learn from other people, uh, and, and, and experience their lives and, uh, and what's going on for them. Uh, cause I find that quite impactful and powerful as well. Fantastic. And Theo, really appreciate of making the time today. And, um, I, I have a question that uh, imagine you have no limits, really, and what you're passionate about and uh, where do you want to take this? What is your, if you had no limits, what, uh, what is the boldest dream that you can think of? Um, whether that's in the topic you're passionate about or just generally speaking, uh, how do you want to make the world a better place? So I, I, I thought... I said something really strange when I was a kid um, and when I was with my um, uh, career advisor. And I said, and this is, I, I, you know, I was, I'd stopped turning up to school. I was going to fail all my GCSEs, the ones that I only ended up taking five or six. Most people took 11 or 12. So that just shows the level. 
I, I remember saying to my career advisor, she was like, right, what are you going to do after school? And I was like, I think I'll go to Oxford or Cambridge. And she went, you, you're not going to Oxford or Cambridge. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll go and do a degree or something there. And she said, you, you can't. And I said, well, yeah, they're supposed to be the most revered universities. I, I'll go to one of them. And, 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 and right, the, what, where she was right is the minute I left school, I could not go to one of those universities. Correct, because I wouldn't have had the qualifications to get in. However, I'm telling you now, um, there is there is not a barrier to go in there other than you're uh, limiting your own ambitions, right? So I look back at that moment, and I don't want to go to Oxford or Cambridge now, right? That's fine. But that was me at that time going, what is the... She's asking me about my future in terms of education, career, whatever. Where's the biggest... Where would the cleverest person go to? Well, that's where I want to go to, right? Uh, that's the place. And you know what, Marion? That is, that is the place I'm going to now. There is no place high enough. There is no place. There's no boundaries or barriers. Because I tell you, a dyslexic person who can't read properly, I read too slowly, I can't spell properly, I need technology to help me. I've just written a 110,000-word uh, book, um, a business book on neurodiversity that is getting loads of Which I do have feedback. here, by the way. Yeah, it's That's getting your... loads of positive feedback from people who are incredible. Um, from you know, doctors, GPs, physicians, um, researchers, academics, and business leaders. The feedback is incredible. This is written by somebody who should never on paper have written a book, right? I don't know, I just said I'd do it and I did it, right? So just by saying you're gonna do something, it puts some level of, of kind of pressure on yourself to go, I'm gonna do it. And listen, maybe I won't achieve. Um, everything that I say that I'll do. Um, I said I'd go to Oxford, Cambridge. Maybe I never do that, but that's okay because your dreams, your aspirations, they can change and they can adapt. But I said I'd write a book two years later and I wrote a book with an incredible human being, an incredible person, Amanda Kirby. That, that was something quite powerful to me. And it's around collaborating with people that really share your passion. And this is why I'm here today, Marion. And this is why I love working with you um, and, 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 and the team, and basically why this is such a, a, an important part of my career trajectory, sat here today in this moment, is that nothing, nothing at all, right, is a boundary in terms of what we can achieve when we consider neurodiversity as a concept. Three guys who are neurodiverse, who are ADHD, dyslexic, on the spectrum of gone into space commercially. Whatever you think about them, they've taken, you know, they've taken their money and they've been able to get um, spacecrafts, whatever you want to call them, into space commercially. But the idea of that is is insane. Tio is talking is... about some of the most successful ones like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Richard Branson. All three of them, yeah, yeah. I believe, to be in Eurodiverse. Yeah, 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 they are. All three of them. And different. They're not, because we are all different. This is what's incredible. So for them, there was no boundary. Now, I think some of they, you know, some of their lives may be more privileged than uh, you or I or anyone else, right? So I don't, I don't want to go into space, right? That's not what I want to do. But what I do want to do is empower people, empower people who potentially could transform the world. And there will be some that will empower themselves, right? Because they will come from a better family background. They'll have money from very young, early age. 
So they're the ones who are going to go to space. They're going to do some of the incredible things. I want to empower the people who may have ended up spending the rest of their lives in prison. I want to empower people who've come from a, a working class background, single family, where they didn't get the opportunities that other people got. I want to empower people sat in an organization where they're in a call center. I want to empower people in every type of organization, in every corner of this planet, right? I want to empower those people because those people are the ones who may otherwise not achieve their potential, right? And they may not achieve their potential because of stuff we did. We, collective we, every single one of us has accountability, right, for what these people may not achieve. It's not just about them, right? Because I spoke to somebody the other day who said, I didn't even get a first chance in life when he went into prison uh, uh, and struggled. I didn't even get a first chance in life. Uh, so, like, for somebody who didn't even get a first chance in life, we can't talk about second chances. Um, well, what we're talking about here is how can we empower as many people as possible, as many people as possible to be their best selves, Right. And, and we have an accountability across organizations to support them. And the benefit is that I'm going to try and make this happen in some of the most incredible organizations, some of the um, fastest growing unicorns, whatever, who will ever take me, who will ever want me to come in and, and to evangelize and support them and to get them excited about this. This is what I'm going to do myself so that all our children can have a better world, a more sustainable planet, and we can empower people like Greta, for example, to have their voice, to challenge us to think differently, because we're going to have to. We're going to have to for the future that we want um, for our kids. Love it, Theo. And just any final words uh, to finish on, you know, the what is your vision of this better future for our children and the children of our children? What, what you know, when you kind of dream and close your eyes and think of, Hey, what does the you know better world looks like in your eyes, in your vision? What do you? Because I believe a lot of great things are coming. Of course, it depends on us to bring them to life and and deliver on. But uh, I'm I'm convinced that a lot of great things are coming. What is your vision for a better world? A better world is one where we support individuals um, to deal with the challenges that they face. And those challenges may be health challenges, those challenges may be um, psychological challenges, they may be challenges through their background, through their experiences, but that we find mechanisms to better support them, right? Because one of the biggest challenges we have in this world is that it's too late often when we step in, when our health system step in, when the police step in, when support services step in, right? We've lost people because we didn't support them early enough in life. So... The, the, the best support possible as early as possible for every single human being on this planet so that we've got sustainability um, and we've got people who can experience what is um, a life that we all deserve, right? As human beings, a life that we all deserve so that we're empowered to enjoy whatever it is that we enjoy. Because at the moment, we don't do it. We still squeeze people into boxes. Um, we're all going to face challenges naturally, as we have with COVID together. But there's a big thing there. We face COVID together. If we could face things together more often, right? If we could find ways to work together more often, 
and we could do more to understand one another. It was Covey that said this, but I do love it because it, it, it frames it so well. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. If we could, if we could do more of that, right, then I see a much better world. But we've got to do it across all aspects and facets of our world, all facets and aspects of our world, and we need to include everybody. That's the whole world in this journey. We'll be at different stages, but we need to include everybody in it, as we've seen through COVID, where we, we shouldn't be ignoring any part of the world because it's interlinked, it will impact. That is that is the kind of the world that I hope for. And to be honest, Marion, all, all I can focus on is doing my bit, and hopefully that impacts on other people, and I can support them then doing their bit, which then starts to um, starts to move out like trickles and waves um, across the planet. Fantastic, Theo. Thank you so much, really, for the work you're doing. What is the best, uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you and get in touch, whether this is organization, whether this is somebody that might need advice, what's the best way to reach you? LinkedIn, brilliant way, although it does get a bit jam-packed with uh, with comms and stuff like that. So, But you can reach me via LinkedIn. If I don't respond, you might want to throw me another message. Um, you can catch me on Twitter is another good way. Um, so Theo Smith UK is kind of my handles for, for both of those. Um, I've got a website, neurodiversityatwork.co.uk, um, but pretty much I'm plastered all over all over social media. Um, so you will find me if you really want to. And it is fairly uh, quick and easy to get in contact with me. Or you can get in contact with me via um, the Dynamics Group as well. Um, is another channel. I mean, pretty much plenty of ways. Uh, but also, you know, go go and have a read of my book if that's a, an arm length way of, of learning more about neurodiversity because we put a lot of effort to kind of give the, the whole view current. Here's the book today. once again. It's a fantastic uh, piece of work once again. You can buy it anywhere. You can uh, yeah. Amazon, Waterstones, across the globe. You can, you can get this book. It's available now. Theo, I really honor the work you do and uh, really it's a great service to so many. And um, uh, thank you for being a leader who cares and, and God bless you and your family and all the work you do, my friend. And thank you for joining today. Thank you so much. Real, real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Find out more about the leaders who care across the main social media channels and help us spread the care culture in your own community, first by taking care of yourself, and then of others around you. It all starts with one person, one act of kindness. What is one thing you can do today to make your environment better? Stay inspired and stay caring. See you next time.